0: KRXO FM and KRXO HD Oklahoma City, a product of Tyler Media, reaching over 1 million Oklahomans every week. Now, the Outdoor Hour, giving you the inside scoop on the great outdoors on 1077 The Franchise. As long as I can remember, I've been drawn to the outdoors. There's something primal in each of us that awakens when we step outside the bounds of modern society and back into the vast possibilities of the natural world. The more civilized our lives become, the louder our hearts cry for reconnection with our native ways. Failure is imminent, dangers drawing nigh, but approached with reverence and tact, the outdoors return wisdom and gain. In both the outdoors and in life, harvests are fleeting, but lessons and memories abound. With that in mind, we step forth boldly together in pursuit of ourselves outdoors. We are nothing more than tree stand troubadours welcome inside the outdoor hour we got a great episode lined up for you this week i am so excited we have three guests in studio and maybe my favorite part is that josh is not
1: you know i'm getting i'm getting real tired of that joke
0: So Josh is the uh, Senior Director of Marketing and Communication for the Mueller Foundation, and his work takes him all over the country all the time. I think you're kind of on assignment for the fly shop this week, though, right? That's
1: right, yeah. Headed back, though. Headed back today. But yeah, we just uh, spent uh, five days in uh, Venice, Louisiana, chasing reds on the fly, and man, it was, uh, it was work this year the uh weather was questionable at best and uh actually didn't even get to go out one day And but uh everyone worked hard and found some fish and uh caught a couple of 40 plusers so
0: that's awesome you can't
1: be mad about that
0: we're gonna have to do an entire episode maybe even series just on this trip but i gotta ask you about one questionable decision i saw you were wearing your full camo get up it must have been cold. You looked like you were wearing all your cold gear stuff, but then you didn't have any shoes on.
1: I didn't have any shoes on because um, the, fly, the wind was blowing so hard that the, it was blowing the fly line around, and it was getting hung on my boots. And so the only way that I could eliminate that scenario was to take my boots off. And so it was blowing 30 miles an hour, raining and pretty rough seas, And, uh, I had merino wool socks on and that was it. And, uh, the things you have to do sometimes, you know,
0: well, you look good. That was a beautiful red that you pulled out there on the fly line. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it was a full team effort, so we'll have to get into that at another time. We'll, we'll have our buddy Dane, who came on the trip, and, and uh, Dan, and bring him into the studio, and we can get in depth about uh, Venice, Louisiana, and and uh, what we have
0: going on over there. That's fantastic. I'm Taylor Maples. That's Joshua Wildman Stratton. As always, behind the glass, we've got goldfish. And our guests this week. It never gets old. I, I love it every single time. That I just wait one, for
1: it. That one doesn't,
0: Goldfish. No, the others uh, maybe a your little joke, more. Your jokes don't get old. I see. Okay. Taylor, oh, I'm a piece of garbage. Questionable. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. Why don't we move into uh, the purpose for today's episode? I want to introduce our guest. I'm really excited. Uh, Kai Cameron is here with his family, his wife, Chris, and daughter, Allegra, 11-year-old Allegra. Thanks for joining us this week, guys. Pleasure to you. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a really cool story. Um, this crew, if you couldn't hear just in that quick little snippet, is from Australia, and we connected on facebook thanks to the oklahoma bow hunters group a couple of weeks ago um kai you had posted something just pretty generic saying you guys were from australia you were in the area and just looking to connect and meet some people is that correct yeah
2: well that's that's right like you know obviously we don't know many people from the bow hunting community over here i mean it's it's different at home um but we just thought it might be nice to connect with people that have the same sort of you know desire to go out and hunt and you know spend time in the outdoors as we do as a as a family so you know it seemed like a an interesting way and we were absolutely overwhelmed with the response that many people reached out it was crazy
0: yeah what has the response been
2: um i think uh in the first day we got like 107 likes on the post and i think we probably got about 20 or 30 people actually send us messages dms and just say hey you know love to hook up love to meet up you know just come meet our family because you know for us it wasn't really about the hunting we brought our bows with us um you know that's a that's a whole backstory but we can tell you about that later but um the, the idea really was just to to you know meet some new friends make some new you know some new acquaintances sort of thing and, and go from there
0: and it sounds like you've done that
2: oh god yeah, yeah we um the, the amount of people that that have welcomed us into their homes and their lives is absolutely overwhelming across uh what texas arkansas oklahoma but mainly oklahoma is just it's been incredible so we've probably spent what two weeks just in oklahoma alone meeting people and and hanging out so
0: that's fantastic you guys well, have been here
2: okay go ahead
1: you know people here are just in general better than people <laughs> from texas that's one hundred percent,
0: a
2: fact. I knew where um, you were going with this. Look, I'm, I'm not going you know, to disagree with you. So
1: I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised.
2: I'm, I'm not going to disagree you know, with you. It's I've overwhelmingly. It seems like people in Oklahoma are super friendly and down to earth, and and just you know really good people. Yeah,
1: facts. Yeah, you got it figured out.
2: Yeah, <laughs> we try. Yeah. Well, in Australia, we're we're what we call bogan's um that's what we refer to because we live in the middle of nowhere um so we go out of our way to meet uh the american version of that which we're told as hillbillies or rednecks so yep nail backs
0: yep. yeah <laughs> so where are you guys from
2: uh,
1: the Hill people sorry the hill people
2: yeah well we're we're kind of hill people so we're we're from a little town about four and a half hours north of sydney um in the middle of nowhere basically we're about 15 minutes as the crow flies from the actual ocean but an hour and a half drive because um,
3: they you, didn't make roads in the crows <laughs> yeah <laughs> crow yeah. Flight
2: area. yeah so so we got to go around the horn to get there but um uh yeah so it's 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 a very very small town i think it's about 50 people currently um and uh
3: we're not complaining about that yeah
2: are yeah we, we, sure. we're really not city people i mean i i get kind of edgy every time i go near a city so did you guys grow up in that kind of an area? Uh, no, no. Um.
3: I, I grew up in a town what, about an hour and 15 south of where we live now. Mum and Dad bought the last plot to ever be sold in that town. They've, this year they're putting in about five new subdivisions. Kind of
2: like Colorado. In that,
3: yeah. in that particular yeah. town. You know, it used to take us, I don't know, five minutes to get to the next town and now it's two hours to get into their town they haven't improved
2: the infrastructure so it's like
3: build more houses and no new roads
2: and that's that's what precipitated you know us yeah desiring to move to the country to the middle of nowhere so you know back at that stage i was working a normal you know nine to five job and it was you know an hour and a half of driving from where we live currently to the nearest city of not seeing another person you know i could i could weave from side to side on the highway and and not connect with anything.
0: That's kind of how it is around here. So we moved here from Denver about
2: six years ago. And one of the
0: first nights I was in town, I got on a highway and I actually thought I'd gone on a road that was closed or I wasn't supposed to be driving on yeah. because yeah. there was nobody on the highway.
2: Yeah, the That's only thing there is dead deer and, and deer waiting to be <laughs> dead deer. So. exactly. When
3: that yeah. happens, we go, is there something going on that we don't know about? Like, yeah. really, where is everybody? And then you'll have the opposite where everyone's going north or south and we go, what is going on? Are we missing some <laughs> Exodus. thing happening and everyone's exactly. just leaving? Mass? Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so no, we, look, I, I grew up right next to the beach. I was a, you know... The typical australian surfer boy um grew up in a place called Cronulla, you okay. know surfing every day going to school and, and and chris grew up in australia's largest country town as they call it newcastle okay um yeah. so yeah it's uh, and and then we moved to the country from there so i i personally moved down my parents uh, bought a big dairy farm down on the south coast of new south wales um and um yeah that's that's basically the background and Chris stayed in the whole place uh, her entire life because that's what Newcastle girls do they just stay where they are so yeah <laughs> not, not not really much more to it until we met and and that was where the uh, the love affair with the country began. Pretty much. So, yeah. Kai, you mentioned, uh, and what I
0: really want to get into eventually here is that mm. you're a commercial hunter professionally. Sure. It's what you do for work. That's right. Um, you said you've been in the outdoors. You've been a hunter your entire life.
2: Yeah. Since you were young. Yeah. Well, my, my grandfather was a, uh, a POW in World War II. Um, he was in a Burma rail, rail camp sort of thing. Um, and when he came back from that, obviously, um, you know, he still had those skills and he passed them on to me when I was a young fella. Um, he didn't tell my parents about that. So we've got to keep that quiet from my parents. They still don't know, (laughs) but, um, yeah, he taught me to shoot from a very early age. And, um, when I was a little older, I just picked it up and ran with it and started going out hunting myself when I was, you know, the right age in Australia, which look, I was about 15 at the time. And, um, when my wife and I met, you know, we were both still working nine to five jobs and then what, 2017, we just basically went you know what i can't deal with this anymore it's soul destroying you know working a, a nine to five mm-hmm. you know selling soul for a few dollars and we just decided to start our own business um doing hunting and we didn't know that it would work i mean we owned everything we had We'd, we never had a mortgage or anything no. like that so we had the ability to to take that chance take that risk um and we just started approaching farmers you know we just did it word of mouth and, and just started knocking on doors saying hey have you you know have you got feral pests you need killed and um or dispatched or whatever you want to call it you know we don't want to upset any vegans here so um but um yeah and it it just took off and we picked up our first few contracts in 2017 i think um so we were you know we were getting paid a, a fee to turn up um and then a fee per head of of animal that we were you know dispatching and um yeah it just went from there and it got bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where you know, now we we tend to have to turn away work because we Mm -hmm. work with a core group of of farmers and and a core group of of individuals in in city areas. We actually, we do do work in city areas as well. So down as small as a quarter acre block. Um, And um, yeah, it it just really took off. And then what, last year, I think, we finally sort of, you know, bit the bullet and and a friend of ours convinced us to jump on Facebook and, and put it on Facebook. So then we went from there and, you know, it helped it a little bit, but it's it's just been super busy to the point where this is, you know, all we do now. So yeah.
3: Now it's nine till nine, but PM till AM, yeah, <laughs> kind absolutely. of. Yeah, or, yeah. or six till six, so, whichever way you want to look at it.
2: Yeah. yeah. I have always
0: been told Overnight. that uh, entrepreneurship is working eighty hours a week for yourself oh, yeah. to avoid working forty hours a week for somebody else.
2: It, it kind of is because. On week, Like, it, it can be hit and miss, as I said to you before we got on air. It, it can be, you know, weeks where we shoot one or weeks where we shoot 20 or 30, Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. depending. And and those weeks where we shoot 20 or 30, like I do the shooting and I do the gutting and, and the processing, you know, and, and all that sort of stuff. And then I bring them back home and Chris does the skinning and the processing and the quartering and, you know, the hanging in fridges and cool yeah. rooms and the sectioning it down from there. And
3: So usually, you know, he'll go to bed and stuff and he'll have hung them up because it's a bit harder for me <laughs> to hang them, but yeah, and then he'll wake up and be like, oh yeah, they're all in the freezer. And as I say, you know, the moment we classed as hillbillies because we've got a few freezers out, out on the, out outside. Yeah, sure, our back, yeah, our back
2: back uh, back porch or whatever you'd call it in, a, yeah. in America. It's we got like ten fridges lined up. Yeah, um, and, uh, and a couple of freezers. And, yeah. We we only recently got given our first commercial grade freezer uh, by a, a guy we know and. You know, we've yet to so set it's a that up, but okay. which which I'm
3: excited about because that way I'll be able to. He'll be able to. You know, we can skin them, and and hang them, and I can process them later, and yeah. not because you know in summer it's like the clock is on. Yeah, get them. You know, get uh-huh. them quartered and in a fridge, and then we'll pretty them up later, kind of thing. Because otherwise, you know, because I summer. mean,
2: you you'd know this. You know, as a hunter yourself, I, in summer, I mean, in Australia, it can be 120 with 100 percent humidity quite easily. Wow, in the shade. Yeah, and. And the, then the flies, the, yeah, the flies, and the the clock really is on. Like it you is, know, if, mm-hmm. if I've shot ten or twenty deer in a night, you know, it's still really hot of a night. Mm-hmm. So we got to get them back and process real fast. We don't have a very big, um, I think the words attrition rate for, yeah. for lost meat. Yep. You know, because we're trying to make sure we get every ounce of it. You know, for for what that animal gave up to to give us the meat. So and that's and a ton of work, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and and
3: because I like to process everything. Like if we happen to get them in the season where you have a big fat layer. So for those that don't know, deer actually have quite a very minimal amount of fat unless it's the right time of year. And we've, geez, we had a something that had. Oh, it was, I don't know, 10 pounds of fat or more on it, yeah, kind that of thing. Big old dough. Yeah. And so I collected all her fat and rendered it down to make soap. So you can make soap out of the deer lard, basically. Um, and so if you don't get it, if you don't get that refrigerated or freezed quite quickly, um, then it will go rancid and then you can't use it. So it's like, it's all the process of the clock is on from you know the minute shot sort of thing so
0: so kai this is obviously something you grew up doing and have had a lifelong Mm -hmm. affinity for i know it's something you came to a little bit later Hmm. on what was that like kind of getting introduced to this and and making that decision to do this as a pair knowing that 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 was going to be you know kind of your calling if you will to to process deer professionally
3: well, my backstory a little bit was that I'm actually a fully qualified veterinary nurse. Okay, sorry guys, I uh, hasn't <laughs> <probably laughs> take offence to that. But um, so in training to be a vet nurse, we did anatomy classes and stuff. So I have been skinning things since. I was in year 10, basically, when yeah. I was started my training. So in the actual, fact, she enjoys it; she giggles
2: like crazy half the time. <laughs> oh, when we did rat, rat when we did rat a big knife, you know. Yeah, but when we did rat
3: dissections, they're like, oh, just hang on a minute, guys, I've got to go to the bathroom. We come back and I went, oh, I've skinned its head, you know. You know I've been skinning things. Um, so that didn't, it's never bothered me. It's like.
2: And also like. Yeah. You know, not, not being rude or nothing to anybody else out there, but Christy's a, a, a man's woman. Like she's a, you know, she's a bloke in a chick's body. If we're being honest I mean You, you can't My listeners can't see She's your, your short head You know Sort of uh, It's easy Yeah Yeah <laughs> That that type of girl She she doesn't Paint her nails She doesn't Pretty her face With all that You know Wall so painter. No, no full like length mirrors so. At home
3: you go, you go Did you look at yourself Before you left home I went In what Yeah, so like she's
2: she's she's covered in blood and guts, and it's that's the most attractive thing in the world to me. I love that. And for
3: those that have worked in animal management at all, you can't be squeamish. And so, you know, when you've cleaned up on an animal's worst day, you know, again, it doesn't phase me. It's just like it doesn't bother me at all. So no, it's it was just a next step to you know things and the fact that we can live off what we do as well. It's it's just you know something you have to do.
2: And now we're we're bringing Allegra into it. Like she's, you know, we, how old were you when you cut your first pooper out? You eight, were, about eight. Yeah, she was about eight when she. Yeah, cut I was gonna the, say about when three she, years ago. You know, yeah. when she yeah. first cut her first pooper out of a out of a deer carcass. Like we've actually got a video of it on the back of uh, an old trailer that we had at the time, and she's learning how to cut it. And, and we don't we don't have all the cool tech that you have. Okay, you know the pooper. We the we poop bought our first corkscrew
3: crew. crew uh, pooper yeah. remover yeah, in from, Wyoming yeah from uh, wow.
2: Rocky uh, what's it called Rocky Mountain Sports or something we met a lovely yeah. guy there and, and he's an yeah that's him yeah, yeah. really nice guy awesome. made a new friend there lovely. And, you know yeah. you guys have got all the cool stuff but we don't have none of that at all I want to no.
0: talk about that in
2: the next segment yeah. we'll talk about yeah. some of the gear and some yeah. of the differences yeah. Yeah. just sure. in the
0: hunting cultures yep. and all of that between Australia and here but yeah. before we go to break Allegra I gotta ask you 11 years old what do you make of all this how is this lifestyle to grow up with Amazing! You love it. Mm. What's your favorite part?
3: Um, eating them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys, I'm I'm assuming eat a tremendous amount of wild game. Then
2: we believe it or not, in our family, we actually it's it's called carnivore. You know, some people want it. We've been eating this way for like the last five years, but we eat predominantly about sixty percent fat and about forty percent meat. We don't eat any fruit or vegetables whatsoever. No grains. No breads. Um, we don't really drink any alcohol, mm-hmm. um, so we we primarily live on what we kill, and you know mm-hmm. just go and buy butter from what you guys call Aldi or Aldi, <laughs> 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 and that, and that's about it, really. I mean, we we live a very basic lifestyle, you know, off off what we get. So, Thanks,
3: That's food choice, easy. Yeah, <laughs> well, sure. What do we having? Meat and butter.
0: There you go. I love yeah, that. Yeah. Well, let's squeeze in a break. Sure. We are joined this week by Kai, Chris, and Allegra Cameron from Australia telling some stories. And we're going to get into some of the cultural differences. I'm amazed just to hear you guys talk about the the accessibility of products and gear mm-hmm. that we have here that maybe we take for granted as American consumers in the outdoors. So I want to hear some of those stories uh, and more ahead inside the Outdoor Hour on 1077, The Franchise. <laughs> Now back to the Outdoor Hour with your host, Taylor Maples, on 107.7 The Franchise and the Franchise Mobile App. Welcome back inside the Outdoor Hour. It is deer season here in Oklahoma. Rifle season is right around the corner. If you're still in the market and trying to figure out what you're going to hunt from this year, might I recommend an Okie hide? they are made locally here in Oklahoma by Oklahomans and you've heard me talk about them for several years you will not find a better built overbuilt over thought about product in the hunting space more so than these oaky hides 26 gauge galvanized sheeting they've got blackout curtains marine guard uh, marine grade carpeting inside of them to help dampen noise these things aren't going to oil can wobble on you when you're sitting inside moving around. I've literally taken my 14 month old daughter out deer hunting with me in it because she can throw toys up against the wall and it not really make much of a sound. Um, if you're trying to get out of the elements, if you're trying to get off the ground, if you're trying to hunt longer, stay longer, more comfortably, not be so worried about your sense and all of that, check out Okie Oaky hides, dot is the website, or you can find them on social media. Uh, Searching for their handles at Hides. We are chatting this week with the Cameron family in from Australia. Kai, Chris, and Allegra are here, and they are commercial hunters in Australia. And that is such a unique thing uh, that is so foreign to us as Americans to think about because the way that a lot of the... Conservation efforts are made in the United States is basically on a voluntary basis, right? There are groups out there like the Mule Deer Foundation and others that work professionally with the interest of conservation in mind, but most of the key stakeholders in this conversation are people like me that have day jobs and are out there in our free time recreating in the outdoors and taking a large burden of responsibility to conserve different wildlife populations, right? It's structured very differently in Australia
2: well yeah it is it it is because the reality is the australian government look at deer all breeds of deer as a feral species they don't want them there they want them gone which is wild when you consider the fact that just like beef dairy cattle sheep goats all other ruminants they came out on the first tall ships when australia was conquered you know conquered being the word but the I, I guess probably the beef industry has a very large reach, um, and and they don't want these deer or perceived deer competing with their beef cattle or their dairy cattle or whatever it is. And the reality is, you know, most Australian hunters, and it's it's not a big hunting culture in Australia. Comparative to you, you don't see guys walking into our version of Walmart wearing camo. That doesn't happen. Um, most Australian hunters will fully admit that deer don't do damage. You don't even know they're there most of the time, um, whereas it's been portrayed on the media that deer are goring cattle and knocking down fences and eating forage and et cetera, et cetera. And the the opposite is true. They, they have very little impact. Um, but despite that, they've labeled them up there with feral hogs as, as a feral species that need to be eradicated. That's fascinating. It It sounds
0: like... The deer are being looked at in the same way by farmers and ranchers that, like the wolves,
2: are mm-hmm. in the Western mm-hmm. United exactly. States here. Exactly.
0: Um, so, is the government's goal complete eradication? Oh, Would They prefer to not yeah. have any deer mm-hmm. on. Hundred percent. Hundred
2: percent. They they go to the uh, to the extreme of hiring uh, helicopters to sit up in choppers and cull these things. And and you got to understand that's a ludicrous proposition, even for the best hunters. And I know some of the world's best snipers that couldn't sit in a moving platform 200 feet up with a high powered rifle and shoot something that has a much smaller footprint from up above than it does from side on broadside and they're trying to shoot them and the the reality is they're leaving the carcasses out in national parks and state forests and that then creates a whole nother problem because they're then introducing predator species which are coming in to eat those like wild dogs and we're not like you in america we don't have any top-line predators so we don't have bears, we don't have wolves, we don't have bobcats, we don't have cougars, none of that. To come in and clean up the mess when yeah. it's all sudden. Yeah, uh, we don't have any naturals. And so wild dogs are then, you know, that creates a whole other problem with wild dogs. That's great. You yeah. know, so look, it, it's a, a real, you know, it's a big fight. Constantly from Australian hunters. You'll see guys on forums, on Facebook forums, going on there and saying, hey, I don't know why they're doing this. There'd be 20 happy hunters to go out and do it Mm. in a safer, more efficient manner. Because I've been in places where I've heard them fire 500 shots and shoot five deer.
3: Wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Wow. Literally, and that's that's within the last year. Like, they did one fairly recently in a place called Foster where they were up there and they were out there for three days. Uh, That's all they got, five deer, as far as I'm aware.
0: Do you have any estimates what the deer population looks like in Australia?
2: It's, it's inestimable, okay. as, as a word, because yeah. in all honesty, they're in populated areas where they can't do anything about them. Mm. We can, but for the most part, they don't. We have local councils that don't want to know about it. Um, they don't have a trapping program of any kind, so it's, they're just out of control. You know, And, and from a, a predation standpoint, you're seeing a lot of people hitting them in their vehicles. And Australian drivers do not know how to deal with deer. We know how to deal with kangaroos. They're stupid and all their weight's you know low slung. So you hit a kangaroo, it takes out your radiator and you walk away. With a deer, you've got something that's 500 pounds coming through your windscreen with a set of antlers, shearing the roof off and taking out everybody in the car. And the fact mm. that there haven't been more deaths is incredible. Because yep. Australian drivers, it's like introducing ice and snow to Australia. They just don't know how to deal with it.
0: Hmm.
3: And because their numbers are getting higher, particularly in cities. And as as Kai says, um, a lot of the hunters will go, oh, we've just walked miles and miles in, in the public land where they've paid for permits and things. Uh, that's like the license to be allowed to go onto that public land. And then someone will go, oh, this is my front lawn. And there'll be like six does and a stag standing there. And they'll be like... But I can't hunt there, and so, um, yeah, we just we kind of giggle that as, as hunters. You kind of go, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, I believe that deer have got a noodle in their head that go. They can tell. With yeah, we're the, safe here. They yeah. do.
0: Well, it was the same growing up in Colorado. We'd yeah. go mm. trekking through the back country and see nothing, and come home and there'd be trophy bucks yeah. eating the rose. Oh yeah, we saw pints, that in
2: this. You know? We yeah. we saw this yeah. massive bull elk sitting on this dude's front lawn, just yeah. happy yeah. as could be, like he he I was own safe. this spot, teasing you, taunting yeah. you. Oh
3: yeah, and, and we have national parks that border with our public land and so if you have a correct license sort of thing you can hunt in the public land and you go you'll see nothing but yet go for a walk through the national park you take no. five steps there into that are. national park yeah. and there they're all sitting and i'm like i know they've got a noodle yeah, <laughs> so it's like, yeah. Like, nope. and and
2: our, our our way of in all honesty like just to, to to sort of change gears our way of hunting is so vastly different to yours is to be not even the same sport like it, it almost appears like the vast majority of American hunters do the tree stand thing. Mm. That's completely illegal in Australia. You can't do it. Illegal. Illegal. Mm-hmm. To use a tree stand. To use mm-hmm. a tree stand. Okay. So spot and stalk? Yep. Spot and stalk, 100%. We don't have blinds. We don't have tree stands. It's 100% spot and stalk the vast majority of the time. You know, you you get guys that do pay for play, which, once again, I completely disagree with. They'll go out. They'll shoot. You know, a trophy buck that's been full of steroids on a farm and, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. Um, but for the most part, Australian hunters, they have to gear up, you know, dodge all the, what we call wiggle sticks, which is snakes. Okay. Because <laughs> we've got the deadliest of everything. <laughs> the ones yeah.
3: you've seen in, in, our, in our public lands, yeah, they're going to yeah. be the ones that We're, are going to send you to hospital. Sticks. I'm
0: going to yeah. use that. I love oh, yeah. that.
2: Yeah, but we we got the deadliest of everything on earth, yeah. as, as I'm sure the you're The
0: Spiders over. and. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Every, everything in Australia is trying to kill you. That's, that's
0: the way Americans think. Man, I feel like we could do an entire episode just a, on stories just, yeah. and that kind of stuff. Well, we can phone in again another Sorry, time. Just
3: the other, other than the wiggle sticks, there' no ropes,
2: No ropes, No ropes. No I have actually wi- heard and that. And yeah. sticks. That yeah. one I've heard. Yeah. But I like wiggle sticks yeah. for sure. But here's the hilarious thing, right? I've been hunting my entire life. Walked through probably hundreds and hundreds of miles of Australian bush in my life. Never seen a snake. Not once. Never seen a spider like a deadly spider, yeah. not once. You know, my entire life. Yet, in our bathroom, my Chris has, has stepped on a red-belly black snake, which is a mildly venomous snake, twice in oh, our yeah. in our bathroom. We had one in our bedroom, one, one in, in our the bathroom.
3: bathroom. Yes,
2: and it's- so this this perception that Australia is this deadly—it's pl- it's not really true. We don't, as I said, I think I've said to a, a number of people, we don't have any top-line predators. Mm. There is nothing in Australia that's going to put a paw on you and eat you while you scream to death. That doesn't happen. The most you've got to worry about is getting bitten because you're too stupid not to wear your gaiters, and then you have to take a trip to hospital and have five or six shots of antivenom. Hmm. But other than that, it's...
3: And just to interject, if you get eaten by a crocodile, it's your own fault. <laughs> the, the <only laughs> people that, that, that is get our eaten, top line predator. Yeah, right
2: the the, the oh. only people that get eaten by crocodiles, believe it or not, seem to be German tourists.
3: Yeah. And really?
2: there's, there's signposts everywhere showing a crocodile eating a man and the German tourists go, oh, well, what's the worst that can happen? And they jump right <laughs> in.
3: Where did they go? It's
2: wild oh. how many of them get yeah. taken every year. Seriously. But other than that, no, yeah, there's, there's nothing real bad. Man. Josh, we've so, uh, we've bit
0: off a lot here. I want to get some of your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I want to go back like a ways. <laughs> Do it. In the combo. Do it. Uh, so, you know, you mentioned... So here, you know, as we talk about conservation, we talk about land usually native flora and fauna are always going to prevail in the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're always trying to eliminate the non-indigenous, whether that be plants, whether that be a conversation about wild horses that were never really supposed to be mm-hmm. on the prairie, whatever it may be. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're always trying to restore that ecosystem back to what we believe it. It was at one point, uh, before our involvement. So, <clears throat> You know, with the majority of the animals on this country uh, in Australia that are outside of kangaroos and wallabies, you know, the the things that we're used to eating not being indigenous, um, you mentioned that you didn't agree with the government's kind of thought on them. Is that – where does that come for you? Because you enjoy hunting and you you believe that there should be a way to – Keep deer in a regulated fashion on the landscape for consumptive use that can also be an economic driver for uh, the country, and I'm sure in a a majority of more rural communities that could um, appreciate some uh, economic stimulus through the benefits of a regulated hunting industry. not, not, uh, how did you get to it, however you think about it?
2: Not not at all, really. I mean, just to, just to backtrack a little bit. In Australia, we have these organisations all up and down the country that take care of native flora. Uh, sorry, native uh, fauna. Fauna. Sorry, I always mess that one up. Yep. So in our area, it's uh, a company called Fauna, ironically enough, and we're actually members of that. Okay. So we rescue and rehabilitate um, things like uh, kangaroos. kangaroos, and yeah, kangaroos, koalas. Uh, Allegra, you can answer to this.
0: Echidna, yep. wombats, wallabies, um, yeah, wallabies, yeah. Uh, and a lot of Parents, birds of prey,
2: you know. So, and we we take them into our home. We've done all the the courses necessary, and we rehabilitate them and re- release them back into the wild. But the 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 what you were talking about before the driving factor of of turning it into an industry. there's really no need to worry about that in Australia. You've got to understand, you've got a population of 350 million in America, give or take. We've got a population of 30 million in Australia, in a country almost as big and a population centre that is exclusively on the coast. There's hardly anybody on the interior of Australia. And so, you know, if if you're talking about uh, what competes with the natural fauna, kangaroos are out of control there're every they do mass culls of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of kangaroos every year, and it doesn 't make a dent because it 's such a vast country and there 's nobody living in these you know these central areas so it's it's not really controllable and they're they're spending millions of taxpayer dollars you know trying to control something that 's uncontrollable. And australia is is almost the benchmark of stupidity for trying to do that because we have things where we have like the cane beetle and they introduced the cane toad to try and take care of the cane beetle and that went out of control. So then they introduced something else to take care of that and it's almost laughable. And we, believe it or not, we're the only country in the world, as far as I'm aware, that still uses 1080 poison to try and kill uh, animals that are supposedly out of control and then that kills all the native wildlife as well so it's it's kind of like they yeah, they're that's going in wild. Tw- yeah it's it's wild mm-hmm. they they're going in twenty directions at once with no plan and killing everything instead of you know focusing efforts or uh, you know as Taylor said, turning it into a, an industry that that could generate tourism dollars they're not doing that they're actually doing the same thing New Zealand's trying to do New Zealand's trying to wipe out the tar um, right entirely from from the same reasoning you know standpoint of oh they're they're competing with native stuff and it's like you know, you could be making billions of dollars of, of tourism money from hunters coming in from overseas with a resource that's just out of control. And, and you know, you, you couldn't hope to kill enough deer, even with hunters from overseas, to make a dot on what Australia has available. So,
1: And, and you think that they – so what do you think should be done with the deer?
2: Honest opinion. Um, I think it should be left at at, at the current point, um, you know, with with management in mind, I personally think that it should be still an untagged thing. So we don't have tags in Australia. We don't have bag limits. You can shoot as many as you want, as often as you want, as much as you want, certainly in my state anyway, uh, which is New South Wales in Queensland. Um, you can't do that. It's only on private land. There is no public land.
3: And so the Queenslanders come to New South Wales to hunt on our yep. um, public lands. Yeah. Um, just because, because said, uh, just because of that reason. And yep. I think Victoria might have seasons, but in New South Wales, there's one deer that has a season. Everything else is year round. Yeah. And no tag limits. And, and they
2: just and it's it's really not making a dent. So I think currently we should leave it untagged and just allow hunters to have access to more areas because they've got this thing in Australia called national parks, which is probably not too dissimilar to your national parks. Whereas you guys have BLM, which is the same as our state forest and state forest. You can hunt as many state forests as you want. Same as BLM, but you can't step foot in the national parks with a bow or a rifle. And the problem is there's massive, massive swaths of Australia that is national parks mm. that you can 't go into, and and mm-hmm. you know the animals know that, and so they're but they they're spending billions of taxpayer monies to send helicopters up into those national parks, and all they 're doing is creating more of a problem instead of treating it like the resource it should be for tourism dollars or whatever it may be so that 's my thought anyway
1: and what it- what What has been the motivating factor in your alls country to prevent hunting in the national parks of any capacity
2: look i I don't really have an answer for that but we refer we refer to them as national parks and padlocks um, they like to okay. lock stuff up for nobody in particular um <laughs> Yeah. There's no rhyme or reason for it. You know what governments are like. They love to to orchestrate, you know, little lockdowns and power grabs, yeah. and and they don't let it go once they've got it. And that's definitely what national parks are like. So yeah. every every gate you pull up to, you can't drive a four no, by four into. It's all locked. Into, and, yeah. You know,
3: it's like you know the old saying: yeah. one person wrecks it for everyone, and then yeah. they go and lock it up. And um, you know, we've spoken before where I say, personally, I'd be like, we would love it if, hey, if it was a weekend, a week, whatever, where they say kind of like a ballot system almost for the national parks where this many people can go in because, as Kai said, they're paying helicullers to cull in the national parks. And if they're worried about rogue hunters shooting the wrong thing, what do they think is going to happen from a helicull? Yeah, there might be a deer right there, but I don't know if you've seen the memes in that deer look like kangaroos. From above. Yeah, from above. Like we, with their faces, you know, We they always say, you know, identify your target. And especially in Australia, because you go, oh, there's a deer. And you look again, you go, oh, no, that's a kangaroo. And so we are, as hunters, we are extra careful not to shoot the wrong thing. Um, but once again, if you're in a helicopter, you don't know that there's not a kangaroo standing right behind that deer because they hang out together
2: hmm. a lot at the time. That's the thing. Like they. they <laughs> You know, hunters aren't in Australia. You're not allowed to shoot a national emblem. You no, can't shoot kangaroos, but they're yeah. in plague proportions.
0: And there are so a very- culling efforts on the kangaroos.
2: Though. Oh, yeah. 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 That's places- a pretty controversial thing in general, right? Well, you want controversial. You should talk about the Brumbies, same as your Mustangs. Okay. Well, they're also in plague proportions. And, and going even a step further, do you realize that Australia has more camels than humans? camels we, we camels. have
3: we have more camels in australia than the country that they imported them from originally
2: yeah yeah what are they doing just, wandering just, just wandering just wandering
3: the around? sand dunes in the middle of australia but
2: nobody ever says anything no. about that because camels it, it's almost it's i don't know how to put it i I call it like the Walt Disney factor people are okay with you killing something that is small or insignificant but as soon as you talk about shooting a horse like a Mustang or a camel,
3: there's an emotional there's response. There's an
2: emotional response. Oh no, you can't do that. And all the all the active groups, you know, yeah raise Mary Hell sort sure. of thing in, in our version of the Senate or whatever you call yeah. it.
3: And somewhat the de- Oh no, not Bambi.
2: Sure. Yeah. Absolutely.
3: Bambi. And we run fair. into that
0: here in the States too as well. Yeah. But there is certainly in this region that you guys are in especially, it's more um, accessible. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. I told you guys in the lobby, my wife is a college softball coach, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, she recruits a lot of girls to, for a team that are locals around here. And very, very few of them grow up not having gone deer hunting with dad. That's and, right. And yeah. It's it's much more uh, of an active... Um, practice in mm. this part of the country, but you go to the coast, you go to a lot of places. It's not that way as well. No, so.
2: they don't even know where their food comes from. Exactly, yeah. like we we raised Allegra from day dot. Like we've got animals at our place. We have got ducks, chickens, you name it, rabbit rabbits mm-hmm. and and we've always eaten off our own you know off our own flock and she understands that she understands that they're food but she also understands the responsibility of taking good care of that resource being a steward of the resource. being a steward mm-hmm. of the resource which is why we signed up for too. fauna Absolutely. it is yeah. it is you know and we signed up for that fauna course for a very good reason and that was to try and balance out i guess the good and bad karma of killing things for a living and then saving things that need to be saved I love so. that.
0: I'm so glad you guys are here.
2: Yeah. We need to squeeze in a
0: break. Sure. Before we do, I want to talk about my friends over at Pedego Bikes. You've heard me talking about Pedego's for the last couple of years. If you're looking for a way to get out there – And go further, stay longer, get on a Pedego e-bike, regardless of if you're like me and you're trying to use it in the backcountry, or if you're just trying to get your fitness level up a little bit, use that Pedego. You can um, control your level of assistance on these things. So if you really want to get after it and work hard, power to you. You're a better person than I am. If you just want to cruise around on it like a silent dirt bike, that's how I like to ride that thing. Just grab the throttle and go. It's a ton of fun. Uh, Check out Pedego. Go OKC over on MacArthur Boulevard just west of Lake Hefner talk to Lance he's your guy he'll save you some money especially if you mention the outdoor hour more with Kai Chris and Allegra inside the outdoor hour after this on 1077 the franchise hey and we got a lot of great content during the commercial breaks and extended conversations here before and after and we're going to put some of that up on our social media pages as well so be sure you check those out if you want to see some of the behind the scenes conversation that didn't make the cut <coughs> Now back to the Outdoor Hour with your host Taylor Maples on 1077 The Franchise and the Franchise Mobile App. Welcome back inside the Outdoor, our final segment this week. And, man, I told you this was going to be a lot of fun. We have had more conversation, I think, during the commercial breaks here than we've even had on air. It is just so fascinating to have Kai, Chris, and Allegra here from Australia telling us some of the stories, some of the nuances, the differences, not only in conservation, but in the gear in the practices it really is just amazing to me and this is the first time i've had this conversation you guys have spent years having this conversation about the differences between the united states of america and australia in the outdoors Mm -hmm. and all of that it just baffles me uh, how we can be so similar in values and in pursuits Mm -hmm. and have such different experiences based on Mm -hmm. frankly the governing bodies under which we live Right, but the landscapes, the cultures, Mm. all of that. I mean, even just in the break, you were telling me about the thermal scopes and and the differences of products that you have access to and and access, and that we have access to. And it's just
2: fascinating the differences. Well, it 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 really is. Like as as I think we touched on earlier, like Australia is very much a spot and stalk type scenario in terms of hunting. Um, Americans are very much about their blinds and stuff, but it seems like Americans are unaware of the for want of a better word the tech that's out there that they're allowed to use like um, Americans seem fully unaware of the fact that during the day you know the day like between dawn and dusk you can use a thermal scope on your rifle to go hunting there's no rule or regulation that says you can't as long as you detach it from your rifle when it gets to dusk uh, to yeah to dust Mm -hmm. and, and put it in your backpack you're good yeah. You're still fine.
3: Is it was at the half an hour after sunset and <clears throat> so before last light kind of thing. Yeah. It's the same. We have the same rule.
2: And, it, and even like the tech you use on your bows, like we, we were just talking during the break. Um, I have a, a, a scope on my on my bow called an Easy V made by a guy in Montana by the name of Aaron Lasco. Wonderful guy. Super easy scope. I haven't used a range finder since I bought this thing. It, mm. There's no range finder necessary. Um, so I don't ever miss an animal because I'm sitting there goofing around with my rangefinder trying to adjust my pins. It doesn't happen. And the, and this thing is so simplistic. It's not like uh, like I tried a Garmin Zero for the first time the other day at hunt camp uh, with a friend, John. Shout out to John. Um, and a bale of hay, by the way. Yeah, and, 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 <laughs> and, 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 and here's the thing. like He's got a, a $1,500 scope on on his bow um, and if the batteries run out, he's done. Yeah. Like Pretty a limb-driven awesome. rest. Mm. Right, so I use this thing. It's got no batteries. It automatically ranges the animal. You, you literally you can't miss unless you're some kind of a muppet, <laughs> you, you know. And, and it's and it's just uh, it's crazy. And, and Americans don't know it. It's it's made in America, and yet Australians have more of these things than Americans seem Everyone
3: to. Everyone he show. they're like, "Wow, man, that's that's awesome An out of sight kind of thing." And you go, "It's made in Montana." Yeah, like just look it up. It's easy. Yeah. It's like you know, you just got to. And, and you, you know, if you have pins pin set somewhere, Aaron puts in a, a little easy um, a cheat guide, sheet yeah. chart. That you can just line up what your pins yeah, are at with, with, with you know, because it comes with, like, six inserts for different speed arrows and stuff. And then it's, you know, it's plug and play. And know, it's, you it's you good
2: just, for us old guys too because I'm, you know, despite what we do for work, I'm blind as a fruit bat. Um, you don't have fruit bats here, do you? <laughs> do, I don't know. I <laughs> bats, fruit bats. <laughs> so, like, let me, let me give you for instance. So, like... Uh, what maybe a year ago I did the hardest hunt of my entire life and I'm not joking here this was a personal hunt we were down the south coast of New South Wales and the scrub in New South Wales is so dense you cannot see your hand in front of your face pretty much you're, you're talking like a foot in front of you you're pushing through head level and higher and I had tracked this breed of deer called a fallow it was in the middle of the roar so they were vocalizing they made this funny grunting noise but here's the thing so does an Australian koala. It makes the exact same yeah. noise. So do kangaroos. Yep. So you could be following. It's like a urr, 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 so yeah, it, it's yeah. kind of like a, a dog kind of urr, urr, like that. But so I'm guttering- following this thing up and down 45 degree inclines for an entire day. I must have walked 10 miles up and down these inclines following this deer, tracking it the entire time with my bow, full quiver of arrows, and. It got to the end of the day. It was getting towards last light and I was like, oh, I'm done. And I sat down in this little section near a lake down the bottom of this spot. This deer that I've been chasing all day has done an end run around me. He's come around the back of me to the surf because we weren't that far from the ocean. He's come over from the sand dunes, walked directly across in front of me while I was sitting down eating a bar of whatever I was eating and stood right in front of me. And I'm like, you mongrel of a thing. I've been chasing you all day. I am done and he's just there, and I had my bow set down, nothing was happening, he walked out, surprised me, and I just stood stone still, put my eyes down, didn't want to make eye contact with this thing, he spent like 30 seconds eyeballing me, and I could feel him looking at me, he's taken like another 10 steps across in front of me, and I've reached down to pick up my bow, and he's stopped, and he's turned, and he's looked at me again, I'm like, you mongrel, I'm not going to get this shot, I know I'm not, then he's walked behind this little tree, and I Quickly grabbed up the bow, got an arrow knocked and and got it ready to rock. And he's walked across in front of me again in this big open spot in front of this lake. He would have been maybe 15 yards at the absolute outside from me. And I nailed him. Like, (sighs) just let it fly. And because of that sight, I didn't have to rain. Nailed him. Double heart lung. He didn't even take 10 steps before he hit the deck. And it was great. And it was like, it was the single hardest and worst hunt of my entire life because it got worse from there. So it's almost dark. I'm prepared for it. I have my pack on and everything like that. And this is only, this is a fallow deer. So they're only a little deer. I gutted him right there on the spot. And I thought, hey, I'm going to stick this guy on my shoulders and carry him out because he's maybe 220 in pounds. Threw him over my shoulder and then went, oh, damn it. My pack and my bow are still sitting on the ground. (laughs)
3: <laughs> how, do I, so like, how do I pick him up do without do, dropping everything? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: And so you got to understand, to get back to camp, I had to walk up and down three 45-degree inclines that were probably half a mile each on the way mm-hmm. up to get back and then the decline into the pit and, and back up again. And it's getting dark. And so I've started I, – I ended up quartering him up and I've hung the first set of hocks on and I've made two or three trips back up and we're talking probably three miles each way. Mm-hmm. To, to do this So I've packed out You know The first set of legs And stuff taken it up to the road Got the last set out And, and Chris had gone Into town To get more ice Because she knew She'd You know She's, she's like I, I sent her a text And we were talking And I'm like I've taken the shot I've got him Because it was two seconds After I'd said There's nothing here I'm, I'm yeah, done Yeah he goes I'm
3: done I'm going to come and back And I, was,
2: I was sent her a text Two seconds later Saying I nailed him I got him I, like, I nailed him. <laughs> And so I'm just walking up With the last pack And I had his pelt And everything And his head on the back and I've walked up and this secure, there's a pulp mill nearby where I was hunting um, that, that pulps Australian timber. And this security guard's pulled up in this pickup, right, like a small F-150. And he's gone, hey, I've been watching you for the last like four hours packing this thing out. And I'm like, oh, really? And he goes, yeah, you look like you're really struggling, dude. I was like, yeah, I was. And he's like, I'm like, did you, did you think I might have needed a lift or something? And he goes, oh, no, I, I, you look like you had it handled. I'm covered in blood this from like head to toe. This is like his third trip I'm up and back. Damn, like I've never been so exhausted. It's midnight by this stage. <laughs> yeah. Right.
3: And I and I pulled up. We were half a mile from camp. I think it was. Yeah. Um. You know, because he'd started walking back because I'd gone into town as he and said. And she's pulled up
2: just as this chucklehead's telling me all this.
3: Because I'm thinking, oh no, and he's covered in blood, as he said. And I'm just like, looked, and I'm thinking, oh, something's going on here. Like, and he's mm-hmm. like, he's like, thanks. And he's just jumped in the back of the pickup because I'm like, you ain't getting in the front.
2: <laughs> yeah, she threw me in the tray and or, what do you guys call it? It's not the tray the here. The tub it? or the... Uh, the, bed. the bed. The bed, yeah. yeah bed. So she's throwing me in the bed with all this. Because yeah. I've packed it, I've just been leaving these carcasses hidden in the bush on the side of the road. Like yeah. sure. all the meat and stuff yeah. like that. And we picked it all up and threw it in. And this security guys just completely clueless. Like yeah, you know, he's like oh, and he and he's he still didn't realize that it's like this is struggle street yeah didn't offer to help none looks tough yeah like real hard scrabble and that's and that's the way most hunts in Australia go like there's no easy kills in Australia Uh, wow you know there really isn't and (laughs) and that just it was fun but it really sucked
3: yeah and the problem was because four years earlier we as a family had walked it. Because it was a fire trail. Yeah, and, and the bushfires had cleaned up all the growth. Yeah, the fires went through yeah. South Coast. And so when we came back, now the scrub was like, as he said, shoulder height. And he's six foot one, so he's shoulder height. And I'm looking at it and going, yeah, I can't bring the pickup down there because no. I couldn't What's see where happening? the road was. Wow. So, anyway. so that's, that's
2: <laughs> if you come to Australia. Yeah. That's, I that's, I mean to. I mean, yeah. that's how you're hunting. Yeah. Yeah. And there's really not outfitters down there. huh. Yeah. That's that's not a thing. Like it's yeah. it might be a thing if you go hunt Cape Buffalo, up in yeah. like Northern yeah. Territory or yeah. whatever. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But Outfitters it's it's not North. a culture like it is here. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking in the break. You were yeah. talking about outfits and stuff, it's old DIY we'd say. Pretty Do much. It yeah. Yeah. Guys yeah. guys racing around. you know. You get a lot of guys come from Sydney that have never hunted before and they'll just shoot anything. Sure. So you gotta wear blaze orange on your head and everything when you're out hunting public yeah. in Australia because yeah, you're likely to get cool. shot yeah. by some guy that just wants to shoot something moving and, you know. Wow.
3: (laughs) We'll ask questions later. Exactly. (laughs) We run
0: into that here too, don't we?
2: Yeah. Guys, this
0: has been fascinating. I hate to do this, but it's time for us to get into the next show here um so thank you for taking time out of your trip yeah Yeah. our absolute pleasure absolutely so great to meet you guys um if you want to follow the show page you can do so online at underscore uh, excuse me it's outdoor underscore hour on tiktok instagram and twitter you can find me at t underscore maples Uh, josh is at against underscore current do you guys have any social media or anything you want to plug while you guys are here not really. Um,
2: I mean, our business name is Urban Deer Management Australia. If people want to so look if us we're up,
0: ever landowners in
2: Australia and we have problems with feral deer, we'll call you guys. You can call us any old time. We'll come That's out. Right. If it's out of state and you're willing to pay for the plane flight, happy days. Yeah, that's great.
0: Guys, we're so grateful to have you here and share some stories and just get to have some community and and meet you. So next time you're in the area, please look us up, and uh, I'll make a point, I guess, Mm -hmm. to come to Australia. We've got a big house. You can come stay with us for as long (laughs) as you want. Absolutely. Guys, this is Kai Cameron, his wife, Chris, and daughter, Allegra. Thank you for joining us.
3: You're
0: welcome. Thank you, and thank you, Josh. Josh. Yeah, Josh. Thanks, Josh. (laughs) I think he bounced already too see that's that's how it so is that's all right, guys, thank you. This has been the outdoor hour. Uh, if you are interested in joining us on the show as a guest, you can hit us up on social media. You can send me an email if you're interested in advertising inside the outdoor hour, the franchise one oh seven seven or any other tyler media properties uh, t uh, nope, let me back up. That's taylor.m at tylermedia.com That's going to do it this week for the Outdoor Hour. Until next time, go boldly. We'll see you outdoors. Bye. Bye. Bye.